Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. I'll get there eventually. It's going to take me a little bit. I want to do some introduction work from our series that we began last week called Faith and Hope. We started a new series, and um, we started last week talking about the, 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 the introducing a type of faith that we have all participated in at one time or another. We called it circumstantial faith, circumstantial faith. It's our ability or our attempt to see God in our circumstances. And for many of us, even if you're from a different faith, you might be into an Eastern mysticism kind of thing or a meditation kind of thing, I don't know. But the tendency is for all of us to look for God in the circumstances of life, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, but unfortunately many of us, that's kind of the foundation of our faith. You know, we heard the story about the little fella Tracy told about the little guy that was 12 that got the hand towel. Um, that's circumstantial thing. That's where God shows up and says, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to connect these two people and this, this thing and this person have a need. I'm going to meet the need or whatever. That's wonderful. And when things like that happen for us, it can launch our faith. It can make us go, you know, hey, there is a God, and he loves me. The problem is that we have a tendency to build on that as our foundation and when in sometimes the circumstances of our life it doesn't go well and you're wondering where is God in some of that. We're going to talk about that today. When we've propped our faith up against circumstantial faith and then God doesn't always come through for us like we think he should, then we our faith struggles. So that's kind of where we're going, what we're talking about. We feel like, you know, if God's doing cool stuff in our life, yay, God, way to go. And then all of a sudden, if God's not doing cool stuff in our life, you know, um, where's God is the question we tend to ask. And when things get really, really bad for some of us, we say, you know, is there a God? That's kind of where we, we get to. And our faith kind of ebbs and flows based on our ability to see God in the circumstances of life. And for many of us, your first moment or your first God moment or faith moment was because God did something circumstantial in your life that was really cool and really um, attention-grabbing, and, and he, he had you, you know, on the edge of your seat to see what was next. And it was like the catalyst, the beginning of your faith and your relationship with God. And that's fine, and there's not anything wrong with that. In fact, that's a good thing, but that is circumstantial faith. And, and that's fine, but, but, but it's it's... It's believing in God or defining or redefining God based on the interaction with God or based on God showing up or not showing up in the circumstances of life. That's when we get ourselves in trouble many times. In fact, some of you may be coming back to church for the very first time because, you know, you used to go as a kid and then something happened as a kid, you know, something traumatic or an accident or whatever, and you just, you wondered where God was and you said, you know, I don't want to go to church anymore. Maybe it was when you were a younger adult and you, you know, you went through a, a, you know, a bad breakup or something and, and you said, you know, I don't know that I want to, I don't know that God's there, I don't know that I want to do that anymore. Or you lost a job when you really needed one. It could be any number of things, the circumstances of life, and you prayed and God didn't show up in the circumstances of your life and your faith collapsed because your faith was propped up on your ability to see God and interpret God in the circumstances of life. And then when the circumstances weren't good, then life wasn't good and faith wasn't good. That is called circumstantial faith, and we all have an element of that in our life. Um, we've all participated in that in one form or another. Probably all of us in this room, you know, we, we could probably identify that in our life. The problem with it is it's extremely fragile because life is random, 
And oftentimes you see God in circumstances, and sometimes you don't see God in circumstances. And sometimes you try to piece it together, and maybe this happened because this happened, or, you know, my mama told me, and then when you figure out that what mama told you isn't always the case, or it doesn't always work the way mama said it was going to work, then all of a sudden I have this dark night of the soul or this crisis moment that we, we can sometimes go through. And, and, and maybe this happened because, you know, the circumstances were such that, that they're just that way. And you're looking for God, and you can't find him. Sometimes circumstantial faith can be very fragile uh, because eventually the, the, one of two things happens. We said this last week. Either the pleasures of life or the pressures of life will begin to erode our faith. Let me talk about the pleasures of life. The pleasures of life will always erode circumstantial faith because eventually, let's be honest, faith is very inconvenient, right? I mean, there are times that if you didn't believe in Jesus, there's some fun things that you could do for a night, right? But, but you know, all of a sudden you've got faith in Jesus and it's like, well, you know, maybe this night I don't have faith in Jesus. And, and some, so sometimes our circumstantial faith, it, it, faith is not, is not a very convenient thing sometimes. You know, I believe in God. I believe he loves me. I love him. Woo, who is that right there? God, I'll see you later, right? And that's kind of how we are. You know, God, you stay right there, and, and uh, I'll be back maybe in a year or maybe never, but you stay over there while I go do this. Um, sometimes faith can be really inconvenient for us. And believing in God and being a good person was really convenient until they showed up. And then when they showed up, that's God, that's a better deal. It's kind of like when you were growing up and you got invited to have dinner at your mom's house or at your friend's house and you you found out what they were having and then you called mom to see what you were having and then you picked the better one, right? That's kind of what we do sometimes. Um, and, and if the foundation of your faith is circumstantial, you know, basically when a better circumstance comes along, you're going to say, see ya, God, got to go. I, I'm going to go do this. And you'll just leave it. And circumstantial faith is fragile because eventually the pressures of life will erode it because things happen that, that don't make sense. Things happen that don't fit into the framework of the way you see God or the way you think God ought to work. So last week we spent a lot of time talking about circumstantial faith and answering this question, what then is the foundation of our faith? And for Christians, the foundation of our faith is a person. It isn't an answer to prayer. It isn't some experience that we had. The, the, the foundation of our faith is found in the person of Jesus Christ. God sent him to the world. He came to the earth. He lived among us. He taught us how to do this. He taught us how to pray, taught us how to live, taught us how to serve. He predicted his own death. He was crucified on a cross, predicted his resurrection before he died. He was resurrected. He appeared to over 500 people, and those people went out and said, this is what I saw. And many of those people went to their grave because they claimed to have seen Christ, Christ raised from the dead. Um, just as a side note, something that I would tell you that would, would benefit your faith is read anything written by Chuck Colson, and eventually um, you're going to read about... He, Chuck Colson was involved in Watergate. He said, one of the reasons I came to Christ was I realized that 12 men went to the grave saying that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And I participated in Watergate, and we couldn't get 12 men to tell the same lie for two weeks. And he said they, were, they simply were not willing to go to jail for another man and a lie. They weren't willing to do it. So they started, to, that's how Watergate unraveled, is all these guys started turning on each other. And he said, when I realized that 12 men went to the grave because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I realized that was something rock solid I could put my faith in. Um, and and these, these guys that saw Jesus raised from the dead gave their life for what, not what they believed, 
what they saw. It was the foundation of their faith. God answered, uh, uh, which means for Christians that if God never answers another prayer, if God never showed up in your circumstances, if God you know, hadn't done anything for you lately or ever, you could still wake up every single day of your life and you could be confident, have extraordinary confidence in the fact that God loves you and has done something in history to benefit you because Jesus Christ came into the world to die for our sins, which is God's way of saying, I love you. I, I care deeply about you. I, 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 you matter to me. You're important to me. And, and we can get up every single day and rest our confidence in God against something that happened in history. We don't have to prop our life up on some circumstantial thing that happens that maybe one day is good and one day isn't good. So that was the lesson about faith and hope last week. Today we're turning the corner, and today I want to give you the definition of faith it's going to be interesting because if I were to hand out three by five cards and ask you to write on your card, tell me what you think the definition of faith is, you would write it out and hand it back and then we would, I would take those and look at them and we would have as many definitions as we have people in the room. I mean, there's all kinds of thoughts about what faith is. And the weird thing is, if you're into some Eastern mysticism thing, if you're a Christian, if you're into transcendental meditation, I don't know what your, you know, your gig is, but no matter what your worldview is, faith is a part of it. I guarantee it. I don't, I don't care what you're into. Even if it's belief in yourself and humanism, faith is a part of that whole worldview and what you're about. It's just, it's just, it's just a fact. So I want to give you the Christian definition of faith today, and I hope that you will memorize this definition. We've talked about this before in other sermons. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time who wonder why God doesn't answer your prayer, why God doesn't, you know, come through for you, um, you know, that, that whole thing when you were told, maybe you saw a TV preacher and he told you that if you have enough faith, you can move mountains with enough faith, right? And so you think, I'm going to try this. And you go out somewhere in Indiana and you find the, big, the, the, the closest thing that we've got to a mountain around here, okay? I don't know what that is, but you go to Brown County somewhere, and you're looking at these, you know, these hills, and you're thinking, okay, I you don't want anybody to see you, but you're, okay, I'm going to try this faith thing, and, you know, I'm squinting really hard, and I'm trying to muster my faith, and it's going to move. I'm going to move that mountain, and you open your eyes, and the mountain's not moved, and you think, well, my, maybe my, you know, maybe I need to start smaller. That's the thing. I just need to start smaller, so you back it down. You go to a hill, you know, just a little hill, and you think, okay, I'm going to and that doesn't work. You get so you think, okay, I'm just going to go to my backyard ant hill. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm surely with my little faith, I can move this ant hill, and I'm going to move the mountain. And all you're doing is running the risk of a bl- bursting a blood vessel. Really, is all you're, you know, it's the only risk you've got going right now. You're not probably going to move that mountain. And and so you heard all that stuff, but it didn't work for you. You ever felt that? You ever felt that way? That's because it doesn't work for anybody that way. Okay. Because that's not what the Bible teaches about faith. So I want you to listen because today's really important. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. And and there's something in all of us that makes us want to shrink God down into something that I can hold in my hand. So I say, okay, um, you know, here's my God, and I'm going to put God right there. And God, you you just need to, you stay, all right? I'm going to go on spring break. I need you to stay right there. Or you say, I'm going on a business trip. I, I just want you, God, you just stay right there. Lord, I'm going to Vegas. You're not invited to Vegas. You stay right right there. And if I need something, I'll come get you. But you, you stay, stay. And then you go on spring break or you go on your business trip or you, you go to Vegas and, you know, something bad happens. 
you end up in jail or whatever. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden you don't want God to stay anymore, right? All of a sudden you want God big and personal in your life. And God, you got to come bail me out. I know I left you off the plane back at home, but God, I really need you to jump on a plane and come to Vegas because I'm in trouble and I need your help. See, every religion wants to have a manageable God. That is why there are and were idols. Because people were trying to create a God that they could control. I want to shrink God down into something that I can get my hands around and manage. And this passage that we're going to look at today makes God who he is, and that is someone who is not very manageable. Okay, That's really the transition we need to make this morning. And so when we come to it, it's, it's kind of threatening, this, this Hebrews 11 passage. So you can, in fact, if you turned on the television this morning, probably somebody's preaching to you from some part of Hebrews 11, and you can at times hear this passage just absolutely butchered um, because they're trying to attempt to make faith something that faith isn't. Now let me tell you what faith isn't, okay? First of all, faith is not a force and it's not a power. It's not Star Wars, all right? It's not karma. It's, it's not if I believe, I'll receive. It's not anything if I believe enough, if I can get enough faith. Faith isn't something that stands outside of God that you can somehow kind of harness, and if I can muster enough of it or if I can channel it the right way, then it becomes a lasso for me, and I can lasso God and make God do the things that I want God to do. See, God, I've got enough faith, so now you've got to do what I want and need you to do. That's not what faith is. That's not a biblical concept. Faith is not a power that you tap into. It's not something that you harness, you don't dip into it, you don't meditate your way into it. Faith is none of those things. That's not biblical faith. It doesn't matter how much you have. Jesus taught that if you have just a little bit of faith, you can do incredible things. The point there is it's not how much faith, it's the object of your faith. That's really the thing. The other thing that faith is not is faith is not a formula. You know, and once you get the formula figured out, then you're good to go. You know, I'm, I figured out the formula. The formula is pray, 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 and then go to church. And as long as I pray, 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 and then go to church, then I've got the formula figured out. And then one day you pray, 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 and go to church, and it doesn't work anymore. And then you go, okay, wrong formula. I'm going to pray, pray fast, then go to church. And then I pray, pray fast, then go to church, and that works for a while. But then all of a sudden, everything falls apart in my life. So obviously, that's not the right formula. And some people seem to be going through life trying to match up the formula to figure out what do I have to do? What is the combination for me to be able to do or say to get God to do the things that I want God to do for me? And then faith is not the same thing as confidence. That's important because we use the word faith and and the word believe in a way that is synonymous with the word confidence, if you think about it. We we say things like, I believe my team is going to win. I have faith in my team. You know, you're rooting for the the Colts today. I have faith in my team. Do they play today or are they off today? They play. Okay. I don't feel totally stupid now. Okay. Um, Biblical faith is not simply confidence. I, you know, I believe I'm going to get the deal. I believe he's going to ask me out. I, I, I believe we're going to win. I, I believe. I have faith. I just, I just have faith. Actually, what that is, that is a combination of confidence and hope is really what that is, the way we talk about it around our, our sports teams and, and our dates and things like that. Hope says, I hope it works out. And based on the past, I believe it's going to work out. 
Now, I don't know for sure if it's going to work out, but I hope it does. I believe it will. That's kind of what hope is. That's not the same thing as biblical faith. Okay? Biblical faith is something entirely different than that, but, but we use all these concepts interchangeably. And, and so after a while, when you start reading the Bible, you begin to see words like faith and believe, and you just start doing the whole synonym thing, and you think, well, I know what that means. That means I hope it works out. I hope we win. I, I think we're going to win. I believe we're going to win. And, and all those things are fine to say, but that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not really all that complicated. In fact, it's very, very simple. It's so simple that when I give you the definition, some of you are going to be very disappointed. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. Uh, I'm guessing the longer you've been a Christian, the, more you're, the less you're going to like my definition of faith. Okay? In fact, you may, when I give you the definition, you may come to me with your Bible open and say, Brett, but it says right here, but I just, my, my request is that you listen through the whole sermon and let me get to the end and then um, see if you don't agree with what I have to say. Um, when we're finished, what I want you to be able to do is to take the definition I'm going to give you and run it back through your faith experience. Run it back through your life and apply it to Scripture. And I think what you're going to find is that this definition makes a lot of sense in our life. Not because I made it up, but because it's what Scripture says and it's, it's, it, it's what's been taught all along. Um, another thing this definition is going to do is it's going to help you understand that scriptures, um, that, that the scriptures sometimes that we read that are hard to understand, if we'll apply this thing I'm going to teach us today, I think what you'll see is that the scripture sometimes becomes a little easier for us. Now let's look at it, and then I'll say a couple more things about it. I'm going to ask some questions as we go, some rhetorical questions, and uh, doesn't mean, that means I don't want you to answer out loud. But I want you to think through these questions, and as we go through the verses, I'm, gonna, I'm hoping you'll, you'll discover with me what real biblical faith is all about, because it, it is very simple, and we just, we complicate it. We try, and we, we complicate it in an attempt to make God manageable. Okay, so what we've got to get past is, I can't manage God. Once you figure out that you can't manage God, faith is going to become a lot simpler for you. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, so let's pause right there, faith is being sure of what we hope for. So there's a difference between faith and hope, okay? They're not the same thing. I hope it's going to work out, but faith is being absolutely sure of something that is, that is going to work out. So what is faith? Let me illustrate. If I was to call, if I wanted to go to dinner with you or have lunch with you, and I was to call you and try to set up a lunch appointment with you, and, and you weren't home, and I got your voicemail, I got your answering machine, and I left a message that said, hey, I, I would like to go to lunch with you um, on Wednesday. Do you think we could do that? I'm thinking maybe 1130. This is the restaurant I'm thinking about. Um, hey, call me back and let me know if you can do lunch at 1130 on Wednesday. And then I hang up the phone, and then I say, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope that they have lunch with me. Here's the rhetorical question. What would have to happen for my, I hope they will go to lunch with me, to get to the point where I could say, I believe with confidence that they are going to have lunch with me on Wednesday at 11.30. What would have to happen for my hope to become faith? Because faith is being sure of what we hope for. All right? So that's our first clue. Then he says this in the second part of verse 11. I'm sorry, second part of verse 1. Uh, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
And by see, he doesn't mean what we physically see. Really what he's saying is in being certain that, that what hasn't happened will happen. That's really what the concept is. Being certain that something that hasn't happened will happen. How can I be certain that the lunch that we haven't had is in fact going to happen? By simply calling you and asking, I have hope. But what would turn my hope into faith where I could say, I believe with absolute confidence that at 1130 on Wednesday, we're going to have lunch together. Faith is becoming sure of what at some point you only had hope for. He continues, and if you're a Bible person, this next verse is really, really important. Verse 2, this is, in, in other words, the definition of faith that he just gave us, this is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, the people that you know of in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, these figures that we've seen, these guys like Abraham and David and Solomon and Jesus and, and Peter and, and Paul and, and um, um, you know Barnabas or any of those guys, and you read of people of great faith, something happened that allowed them not only to be hopeful, but to have confidence. Their hope became faith. And their hope became faith in a way that I'm about to describe. So what this verse means is this, that this passage of Scripture gives us the definition and the proper view of faith that we should be able to then superimpose on the situations in life and on the Bible. So when you read the Bible, I want you to read it with the understanding that, that this, what we're talking about today in Hebrews 11 applies, I mean, he's saying, you know, even the ancients were commended for this kind of faith. So let's kind of look and see what that kind of faith is. That's why this is so important. Verse 3, by faith we understand, or you know, we could also put in the word we know there. By faith we know and understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now let me ask you this question. If you're a Christian and you believe that the book of Genesis is true and you believe that uh, the book of Genesis you know, says that, that God created the heavens and the earth, um, that once upon a time there was nothing and God created something out of nothing. And I'm not getting into the whole, you know, whether it was seven days or six days or 7,000 years. I don't want to start that debate. I'm just saying you believe that God created the heavens and the earth. You believe that God created the universe. The, the question is, what makes you so confident of that? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that God created the, the earth? The writer of Hebrews says that you believe that by faith. That, that you, let me ask you this way. Did you ever wake up one morning and throw your legs over the side of the bed and you said to yourself, I so badly want to believe that God created something out of nothing. I'm just going to believe it. I believe, I believe, I believe. And you just, that's, that's, is that how heaven and earth got created? Because you just, in your mind, you believed that God had created the heavens and the earth? And the answer to that is no. Why do you believe that? Well, just stay right there and keep that thought because I want to move on to verse 7 and then I'll come back and talk about why you believe that. Verse 7, he gives us an ilus- a couple of illustrations. I'm going to hit two. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet, what's the word? Seen. When, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah built an ark to save his family, okay? So the story did not go down like this. The story didn't go down like, Lord, you know the whole world is evil, and I just think, I just think that, that you just should kill everybody. So um, let's, let's get the family together. I'm just going to get everybody around the table here. We're going to pray. God, we pray 
Lord, we pray that you would just kill all these evil people all around us, and, and uh, we, we pray that you would just, Lord, just make it rain. Make it rain. Make it rain a lot. Kill these horrible, awful people. God, we pray that you'd let it rain to the point that it just drowns everybody. And to show you how much faith we have, we're going to build a boat. We're going to build an ark. God, it's going to be awesome, huge. We're going to be able to put two of every kind of animal on it. We're putting all of our family on there. This boat's going to start building the boat, boys. We're going to build the boat. And, and, and God, I want you to see what great faith I have. And, and, and then you're going to kill everybody. And God, it's, it, this is not how the story went. You know, God was not up in heaven going, man, look at the faith those guys have. I, I wasn't planning on killing everybody with a flood, but this dude's got so much faith. I, I may as well go ahead and make, i got to make it rain for this guy. I mean, I can't disappoint him with, the, with faith like that. No. That's not how the story of Noah and the ark goes down. The story of Noah and the ark goes down. Noah built an ark when he was warned, you better do something because I'm about to flood the earth. God initiated Noah's faith. Noah built the ark by faith, not by hope. You know, I hope you're listening. <laughs> um, I hope, it, you know, because it, it's going to rain. And, and it wasn't Noah's idea, it was God's idea. That's a picture of how you do something by faith. He gives us another illustration, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And this is a flashback again to a story in the Old Testament that you know very well. God says to Abraham, Abram, I want you to pack up everything that you've got. Take your family. You're just going to start walking. I'm not telling you where you're going. I just want you to start walking, okay, so, so go. And I want you to leave your land and go and take everybody. And when, when it's time to stop, I'll tell you where to stop. And the Bible says, are you ready for this? By faith, by faith, Abraham picked up everything, got his family together, gave up his land, gave up some really choice stuff, and started walking and left everything that he knew that was familiar and comfortable to him. And he started, by faith, walking, not knowing where he was going, not knowing what was going to happen next. Now, whose idea was that? Was that God's idea or was that Abraham's idea? The answer to that is that's God's idea. He initiated it. Abraham didn't respond to this, you know, it didn't make this up and say, you know, I'm just going to do this. He responded by faith, to what God said to him. Now I want to go to verse 13. He mentions a bunch of other people in the process, okay? these are I just gave you two, but he mentions a bunch of people. And then I'm going to ask you to give me two words out loud, okay? So get ready. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. All these people were living by faith when they died. That is, that all these people that were continuing to act as if God was going to do what God said he would do, even though they never saw him do it. God had made a promise, but, but, he, but what was promised was not for these people who died, okay? Sometimes God makes promises to mankind. Sometimes God's made promises to mankind, not necessarily just to you and me. So some of the promises that God may have made, I may die one day and not see. And for instance, God says, I'm going to come back one day. I'm going to send Jesus back one day. I may die before I ever see that promise fulfilled. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, all these people were still living by faith when they died and did not see the promise. They did not receive the things. What is the next word? Promised. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now let's go back to the top of the passage. 
And let me ask you a question. Why do you, as a Christian, believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Why is that by faith? Because it was not our idea. Because the book of Genesis tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we believe that. That's what we believe. Okay, It's initiated. We don't, we don't just make that up. God, I just believe that you just made the heavens and the earth. No, God says, look, I made it. Do you believe it or not? Do you, do you have faith in it or not? Now, God revealed that to us, and we believe that revelation, and that is an act of faith. And at the end of that little passage in Hebrews, the writer says, these people continue to act by faith and live by faith even though they had not yet received the promise. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and then I'm going to give you the definition. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. Okay, that's really important to understand. The bridge between hope and faith is the promise of God. The reason I can show up with confidence at the restaurant on, at 11.30 on Wednesday and wait for you is because you call me back and say, I'm going to be there. All right, you, you, hey, Brett, you called, you left a message, I got your message, got it about 11.30 on Wednesday, got the restaurant, I'm going to be there, you can count on me to show up and, and I'll be there with you. And then I believe that you're going to do what you said you would do and show up by faith. Not by faith like, boy, I hope he shows up, I hope he shows up. Well, did he call you back? No, but, but I, hope he call, I hope he shows up. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. That's not faith. That is presumption. That is hope gone wild. That is crazy. And you know what? You do not live your life that way. You don't, you don't go through your life counting on people who haven't made commitments to you. You go through life and you don't like if someone says, hey, let's go to the game today. I'll meet you at the game. If you, like if they call and left a message for you. No, if you call and left a message for them. And they say, you say, hey, I'm going to go to the game. You're going to be there. Call me back and let me know. You're not going to get all dressed up and put on all the gear and go to the game unless you get a word back that says, Hey, I'm going to be there with you. A couple of weeks ago, I went camping with my best friend. Um, we set that up way back in the spring. Now, I would not have gotten all my gear together, gotten all my stuff, and, and gone down to the southern part of Indiana to go camping unless I had gotten confirmation from him that said, Hey, I'm going to be there too. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'll see you when you get there. I'm not going to do that. We, we don't do anything else in life that way. Somehow, though, we, we kind of treat God that way. And so it's a presumption to just say, well, you know, I just, I just believe. I, God's got to do it because I, I believe he's got to do it. Now, we pray that way, and we hold God accountable that way, but you do not live your life that way. I can't just go from hope to faith unless you call me back and say, I'm going to be there. So here's what the Scripture teaches, that the bridge between what we can hope for and what we can trust God for is the promise of God. Noah built an ark because God made a promise. It's going to rain. You better build an ark. And Noah said, I believe you. And he looked at the boys and he said, get busy. We've got to build a boat. And God said to Abraham, I, I want you to go somewhere and I'm going to show you where to go. And Abraham said, I believe your promise. And he looked at everybody and said, pack up. We're going. And he did it because God told him this is what's going to happen. Now let me give you this definition, and I hope that this will become the grid through which you view scripture and you view life and i've given you this before in sermons in fact i've given this to you word for word before in sermons faith is the confidence that god is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised he will do that's biblical faith 
That is what Noah acted on. I believe you are who you say you are. You say it's going to rain. I believe it's going to rain. I believe you're going to keep your promise, so I'm going to do my part. You want a boat built? I will build a boat. And God said that is an act of faith. Same with Abraham. Which means that as Christians, if you buy into this whole uh, Christian worldview, it means that you can come to God and you can ask him for anything that you want, and you can believe that he's going to answer that prayer. And we can hope that he will answer our prayer and give us the things that we want. But you're not going to faith God into something. Okay, you're not, uh, faith isn't a power or a force. Faith is simply confidence that God can do what you have asked him to do. It is the confidence that God loves you based on the fact that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for your sins and for mine. So I want to illustrate this and then I'll close. You don't have to look this passage up. I'll put it on the wall for you. But in Luke chapter 5, we read this story. And I want you to listen to this story in the context of what we just said. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Not afflicted by leprosy. Not, hey, I got a little leprosy here on my ankle. You think you could take a look at it, Jesus, and fix it for me. This, this guy is covered in leprosy, which means for him, game over, no hope. What that means for him is no family, no social life, no kids, no wife, no job, no nothing. You're going you're gonna to be in pain. You're going to be in poverty, and then you're, you're going to die. That's your life, and it's going to be over. This guy is covered with leprosy, the second part of the verse. When he saw Jesus, that's important. He didn't see Billy. He didn't see Susie. He saw Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. He begged. Beg means you have something I need. I believe. I believe. I believe. He begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, that's this guy saying, I'm begging you. Jesus, I'm begging you and not anybody else. I have absolute perfect faith, faith that if you are willing, you can make a difference in my circumstances. I don't know if you're willing or not. I don't know if you'll do it. I don't have any assurance. I know you can, but I don't know if you will. And I'm not presumptuous enough to think that, that if I ask, that you have to do it. I know better than that. That's really what this guy was saying. And that just because I believe that you're forced to act. I believe you can. I hope you will. Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. In other words, Jesus said, that's all the faith you need. You've recognized who I am. You recognize that I have the ability, and you have come, and you have humbly asked, and that's all the faith I need. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean, and immediately the, the leprosy left him. That is a picture of you and me. That is a picture of how we should pray. Every single day we can wake up and say, you know what, God, if you don't do a single thing for me, you're still God. If you don't come through in my life the way I need and hope that you will come through, you're still God. If I don't see you in the circumstances of life, that doesn't change a thing for me. I will still worship you. My eternity is secure. I can believe and worship with full security, and I can worship full out even if I never see you in the circumstances of my life because my faith does not hinge on my ability to see you in my circumstances, but the great news is I can bring everything to you. I can fall on my face, and I can say, God, I beg of you, I need a job. I need a friend in this city. 
God, I need to be delivered from this pain. I so badly need it. And if you're willing, I have absolute perfect faith that you can answer my prayer. That's all he's looking for. And sometimes he's going to say yes. And sometimes he's going to say, not now, but let's hold off on that a little bit and maybe a little bit later. And sometimes he's going to say no. Now, you get that. You don't want to get it, but you get it. And I'm going to show you how you get it. Because every one of you who's a parent, who has ever had to tell one of your kids no because you had information that they did not have, right? And you said, Mom, can I? And you said, no. But why? And you had a reason. And you might not have been ready to share the reason with them, but you had a reason. Maybe your daughter wanted to go hang out with somebody that you had heard bad things about. And you said, no. Well, but Mom, why can't I? You just can't. Have you ever done that? Did your parents do that to you? And you, and you went to your room, stomped off your room. I'm never going to do that to my kids. And then one day they asked you, Mom, can I? And you said, no. Why? Because I said so. <gasps> right? You get that. So sometimes God says no. But God, why? I'm not telling you. But I know things you don't know, and you don't need that right now. In fact, you don't need that ever. And the answer is no. Faith is not my ability to see God in the circumstances of life. Faith is my confidence that he is who he says he is, and he will do what he promised to do. And I believe in him, and I worship him when I get what I want. I believe in him, and I worship him when he says, maybe not now. And I believe in him, and I worship him when I don't hear nothing. Right? And if he says to me, no, that's his business. He's God. And here's the great news. The same God that has said to you and me, when you come to me, I want you to come to me as father. I want you to look at me as your heavenly father. In fact, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. God wants us to look at him as more than just father. God wants us to, to look at him as dad. But that doesn't mean we get to shrink him down into something that's manageable for us and put him in our back pocket and constantly say, gimme, gimme, gimme. We treat God like he's a genie on call sometimes. And that's all fine until you hit rock bottom. And then when you hit rock bottom, do you know what kind of God you want? When you hit rock bottom, you do not want a God who sits on a table. When you hit rock bottom, you do not want a God that sits over in the corner that you can look at once in a while and think, yeah, that's my God over there in the corner. When you hit rock bottom, you do not want a God that you can stick in your pocket. When you hit rock bottom, you want a God that is bigger than the whole stinking universe. You want a God that not only holds the universe in his hand, you want it to rest on his thumbnail. You want a God that is so big that he can control anything that's going on in your life. When you hit rock bottom, what you want is a God that is much, much bigger than any problem you could think or imagine, right? That's what you want. You don't want a manageable, watered-down, shrunk-down icon of a God. You want a God that is untamed, out of control, and that not even you can manage, and you can't even manipulate with your faith. That's the kind of God you want. But when we get at rock bottom, you know, and we've put God over here in this manageable place, it's not going to go good for us. Only when we can say, God, whether you come through in this circumstance or not, I'm going to worship you. That's why when you've been, some of you, in 
dark situations. When you've been, some of you, around, I've gathered with some of you around deathbeds. That's why when we do that and you say, Brett, pray, that's why the words that come out of my mouth are always, Lord, whether this person gets healed or doesn't get healed, we worship you because you're God. And I'm not going to try and pray you into something. I'm not going to try and faith you into something. God, I can't do that. He is God. And he says, I want you to address me as Heavenly Father. I want you to see me as your dad. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to say, God, I believe you can. And if you are willing. And God says, you know what? Some days I'm going to be so willing. Some days I'm going to say I'm willing, but not right at this minute. And then some days I'm going to say, no, I'm not willing to do that. But I love you. I love you. Which is exactly what we've said to our own kids. Because you are now beyond circumstantial faith and you're trusting in the God who created the universe and sent his son to die for you, who loves you with all his heart and has your best interest in mind, just like you have your kids' best interest in mind and they don't believe it when you tell them no. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised he will do. Next week, we're going to talk about what he's promised he will do. Let's pray together. God, we, we are guilty. We are guilty of having tried to make you manageable. We are guilty of having tried to faith you into doing what we think you should do. We are guilty of thinking that in some way we can have enough faith that we could make it a lasso to put it around your neck and control you and make you do things that, that we need out of you. Shame on us. And God, we're all a little bit caught up in circumstantial faith. We're all looking for you in the circumstances. And you know what? Sometimes you are in the circumstances. Many times you are not. So Lord, we do not want to build our faith on circumstances. We want to build our, our faith on the rock-solid promises of God, King of which is I'm going to send you a Savior. His name is Jesus. He will live among you. He will die on a cross for your sins, and he will raise from the dead to show you that he has conquered the grave and that death is not something that you should be afraid of. Father, that is our hope. That is the promise that you have given to us, and we cling to that this morning. And whether you say yes now, yes later, or no forever, we are yours, and we follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.